Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Last week, the House Oversight Committee released handwritten notes taken by former Acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue during a phone call between former President Trump and then-Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. The notes revealed that Trump exerted pressure on DOJ officials to declare the 2020 election corrupt and to overturn the results. In other news, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol held its first hearing, which featured emotional testimony from four police officers. And the Department of Justice has declined to defend Representative Mo Brooks in a civil lawsuit that accuses him of inciting the riot at the Capitol. Joyce Vance and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, Use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. So we should take a step back for a moment and explain, if people are not aware, that part of the reason we know what was said by Donald Trump to the acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen is that the acting Deputy Attorney General, Richard Donahue, was taking what looks like copious notes. And he has in his notes quotes attributable to Donald Trump, which I trust and I credit. And one of those notes says, Trump said the following, quote, just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me, end quote, and to congressional allies, according to the notes. That to me is a reminder of what he did in Ukraine. Remember in Ukraine, what Trump kept asking for was an announcement of an investigation into Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, not you know, get to the bottom of it, find the truth, get a conviction, bring an actual prosecution. But basically, he was saying a version of this. You know what, Ukraine, just say that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are under, are under investigation and leave the rest to me, right? He, he, he thinks of investigations as weapons to use, and it doesn't matter necessarily for his purposes so much that at least in the short term, that there's some actual action he wants the inquiry. He wants the announcement made. He learned that lesson in 2016 when, you know, Jim Comey infamously on the eve of the election reopened the notion that there was some investigation the FBI was conducting. There was absolutely nothing to it. It was it was meritless, and he subsequently came out and corrected himself. But some folks believe that that swung the tide in favor of Trump. Trump certainly picked up on that. And, and I think the key to what you're saying, Preet, is this notion that Trump doesn't care if there's any merit to these investigations. He's not worried about the facts. He's just worried about winning. Yeah, I, I just can't get over that line. Just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me. Because what he understands is media and social media. Remember, he was still on Twitter at this, at this point, And he understands his base. One question I have and I don't mean to sound small on this, I want to get your impression of the conduct of the lawyers in the case, the acting attorney general and the, and the acting deputy attorney general and how they resisted. Does that make them heroes or does that, does that make them sort of minimally responsible and honorable in the face of repeated intimidation attempts by the president? But I've still never understood, and this is maybe something that's parochial, but I've never understood why Richard Donahue, who I know and I thought was a good guy, he was the chief of the criminal division in the Eastern District of New York for a period when I was a U.S. attorney in SDNY. 
But he left the position of U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York to take a lesser position at Maine Justice in D.C. I've never understood why that happened. Does that matter? So I'll answer this way. Of course, there could be more that we don't know. I'm, I'm willing to put a pin in that. I don't understand, at least at the point when January 6th happens and there's an impeachment inquiry, why these two DOJ lawyers don't come forward and share what they know. You know, this is outrageous conduct that could, quite frankly, have had a lot of influence on those events because it demonstrates, as as our friend Dan Goldman has said on Twitter, it demonstrates that Trump had criminal intent, that he had a corrupt intent in all of these proceedings. If you look at just any one moment in time, you know, how he behaved on January 6th, you might believe that's the case. When you look at this entire timeline and this barrage of calls to Rosen, I almost wonder if Rosen didn't reach a point where he began taping these phone calls just for his own self-protection. The conduct is horrible. They should have come forward. Wait a minute. Are you saying, Lordy, there are tapes? I wonder if there are. D.C. is what's called a one-party consent jurisdiction. That means one party can consent to taping a phone call. But there, you know, there are a lot of issues here when the other person on the phone is the president of the United States and you're the attorney general. We've been down this road before, and I've talked With about Rod my own, Rosenstein and myself. This again, this is like the 400th time in the last four and a half years where I felt vindicated in not taking the call from Donald Trump back in March of 2017. And you see, in case after case after case, nothing good comes of that, especially when it's outside the chain or it's with respect to a particular enforcement matter, there's no doubt in my mind, and this is further proof of that, that at some point, Trump would have asked me, the U.S. attorney in SDNY, to do something untoward or to announce something inappropriate because he's done it again and again and again with Jim Comey, with Jeff Sessions, with election officials in Georgia. And now we see with the acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, he probably did it with Bill Barr again and again and again. But the one thing you say about tapes we should point out, the, the reason we know about this stuff is that the department itself, now under new leadership, turned over these notes to the House of Representatives Government Oversight Committee. And I think it'll also be shared with the Senate Judiciary Committee. And that's significant for a number of reasons. They made a determination that they were not going to assert executive privilege or any other kind of privilege over these notes, which you sometimes expect institutionally, and Garland has shown his proclivity for this, that they would do that institutionally to protect such disclosures in the future and to protect their own internal communications and internal note-taking, et cetera. They seem to have come to the conclusion that this stuff was outside of the president's role as president and was undertaken in his personal capacity as a candidate for president, and that removes its protection. How significant is that? So I think it's really significant because as, as we know, the office of White House counsel, the Office of Legal Counsel in DOJ, these folks take protecting their institutions very seriously. And even, as you point out, Merrick Garland has been very clear that he's interested in restoring DOJ and in, in holding the institution above the political fray. So it says a lot. It says a lot about what they believe the seriousness of this conduct is that they've disclosed the notes 
One interesting aspect, though, and, and I wonder what you think about this, Preet. I've really just been thinking about it for the last day or so. One interesting aspect of letting former Trump-era officials testify is the Ollie North problem, right? Once you testify about something in a compelled situation like that, you can't be prosecuted. And, and for most of these folks, that's not really an issue. I mean, Rosen and Donahue, whatever you may think of their decision not to come forward, certainly weren't complicit. But at least in the case of one of the people who they've now given permission to testify to, Jeffrey Bossert Clark, there's an indication that he had conversations with Trump about pursuing the big lie using the Justice Department. So you can read those signals a couple of different ways. Yeah, I mean, we can get to the issue of, of whether or not anybody will be criminally prosecuted for this particular set of events and conversations. Certainly, as you say, the acting attorney general and the acting deputy attorney general, I don't think are in any criminal jeopardy. I don't know that the, the president is either. I was asked the question recently, would this be an impeachable offense? And I think <laughs> if circumstances were different and Trump were still in office, and he hadn't already been unsuccessfully tried in the Senate on two different impeachments, this would absolutely be impeachment material. I mean, using your Justice Department to try to win an election is just beyond the pale. And, and we can talk about potential criminal exposure. I don't, I don't really see it here. But more importantly, I don't really see an appetite for bringing, you know, a bit of an aggressive case legally on these facts. And maybe there are more facts that we don't know about. But on these facts under a criminal statute against the former president, the DOJ doesn't seem to be in that kind of mood. But with respect to Jeff Clark, and that's one of the other things that was going on at the same time, you know, Bill Barr leaves for, you know, reasons we can speculate on. Probably one of those reasons is it's getting really crazy and I'm going to be asked to do stuff that I don't want to do. So I'm going to get the hell out of Dodge. And so he gets the hell out of Dodge. Such a profile in courage. <laughs> and there was a move to try to put Jeff Clark, who you mentioned, he was a senior official, civil lawyer at the Justice Department in charge because he was going to be willing to play ball. So somebody's willing to play ball. Some people want to get out of Dodge. And some people, I guess, resisted the best they could. And by the way, these are not the only things that were said in those conversations. There's also a conversation reflected in the notes. Trump was not only calling for basically a statement that the election was a fraud, but he also told those officials, quote, figure out what to do, quote, with Hunter Biden. And he says, people will criticize the DOJ if he's not investigated for So what does all this have to do with the proper role of the Justice Department. Now, I think you have a view and you've been taking a look at a particular statute. It's Section 610 of Title 18. What does that make illegal? Well, let me start by backing up a little bit and saying I agree with you that we have not seen a lot of appetite from this Justice Department to prosecute. But I think this conduct is so serious that at a minimum, DOJ needs to open a very serious investigation, you know, looking at, at Trump's conduct, not being afraid to follow evidence, perhaps if other investigations develop evidence regarding his behavior. Can I pause you there for a second, Joyce? Yeah. So some of this information we're learning because in the ordinary course, the House Oversight Committee has been asking for certain documents. And DOJ has made a determination, as we discussed a minute ago, that some of these very sensational notes should be turned over, that there's no protection, there's no privilege, and so they've been turned over. Do you believe that as they're turning these documents over, they are just being sort of a conveyor of information to other bodies like the Congress? Or do you think as we speak, DOJ is also 
doing its own internal review and looking at other documents and notes and communications that may be privileged and that may not have been asked for or that may not have been turned over because it's the right thing to do or not. I don't know the answer, obviously, but I think that there's sufficient predication for an investigation, and I suspect that they are carefully reviewing everything. My hope would be that they don't do anything, particularly in connection with the congressional investigation, that would foreclose prosecution if they develop evidence down the road. You know, we've all lived through this, and sometimes when you live through history, it's hard to fully appreciate it, but we have lived through a moment where a sitting president of the United States literally tried to steal an election, tried to do what he accused Joe Biden of, and has shamelessly lied with assistance from, you know, who knows how many political figures. This is the sort of thing that if you're ever going to charge some of the most serious crimes in the criminal code, this is the moment to do it. 610, the statute that you asked me about, may may not be the most serious crime in the criminal code, but it's certainly important to look at in this context because it criminalizes the coercion of political activity. Can I be nerdy for a minute and just read the statute, or is that too boring? No, man. Read it. Here's what it says. It shall be unlawful for any person to intimidate, threaten, command, or coerce, or attempt to intimidate, threaten, command, or coerce any employee of the federal government, blah, 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 some definitions, to engage in or not engage in, and here's the key term, any political activity. The statute does a little bit of definitional work, but it says that political activity includes, but is not limited to, voting or refusing to vote for any candidate or measure in any election, making or refusing to make a political contribution working on behalf of a candidate. So when you think about it, this term political activity, which is limitless in the statute, we need to know what that means, and the statute doesn't define it. Trump's conduct certainly seems to be much greater, go far beyond anything that the statute contemplates, right? Voting or refusing to vote for a candidate. Here we've got somebody who's who's trying to mess with the results of an election. Right, but, but he's not trying to get, I mean, the language is interesting, right? Because I don't know that I ever charged it. And I think we talked about it and you're not sure that you ever charged it. It doesn't come up that often. But, you know, my sense is the Heartland case is if you have a supervisor in a government agency, you know, at the EPA or, you know, U.S. attorney for that matter, and I put pressure on underlings, on subordinates, you know, to vote for Obama or to vote for Biden or vote for whoever, or I put pressure on them to go to a fundraiser and they're federal employees and I'm their superior. That's the kind of thing that happens from time to time. And that's the kind of thing in part that this statute prohibits, right? That's the kind of garden variety BS that people engage in. But if you look at the particular things that you mentioned in the list, as a technical matter, Trump was not trying to get the attorney general to vote or not vote, to refuse or not refuse to make a political contribution. The closest I guess you come is to this last item, intimidate him into working or refusing to work on behalf of a candidate. So I guess the argument would be that these intimidating phone calls, and they certainly were intimidating and commanding and perhaps coercive, was trying to get Jeffrey Rosen to work on behalf of a candidate, namely Donald Trump himself. 
I'm actually not sure I agree with you there. I okay. would agree with you. You don't agree you. with my police work there? Well, I, you know, that's <laughs> where I started. Let me tell you where I ended up. That was and a Fargo reference, by the way. Just I'm sorry I missed your Fargo reference. The language of the statute. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.